Hi, my name is Morris Scott, and welcome to another episode of a Father's Devotion podcast. Today, we will be exploring the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, But first, let's commit our time to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to explore this last book of the Old Testament. We thank you for the journey that you've allowed us uh, to be on uh, as we uh, started in Genesis and now have come to the last book in the Old Testament. Uh, We again pray that you would open our eyes to learn from this book and to be transformed thereby. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Malachi. Well, we started out uh, with Genesis and have reached the last book in the Old Testament. The journey has been long and thorough, uh, but we have seen the trajectory of God's people. We have seen the trajectory of God's work uh, on his people. Uh, We have seen God's mercy. We have seen uh, the sinfulness of man. We have seen the continuing grace of God appearing to men forgiving, leading, strengthening, judging, uh, and restoring. And so we've come to this book, Malachi, which is dated uh, from 450 to 400 BC. Uh, The human author, of course, is Malachi, whose name means messenger. Uh, The Jews have been back from the Babylonian captivity for a time. Uh, They have become, uh, in one sense, complacent after the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, Their worship has become tainted and compromised. Uh, Malachi now is calling them back to true consecrated worship, which puts God first. One of the lessons from this book uh, is that consistency is important. It's one thing to start a work for the Lord uh, or to start out serving the Lord uh, in a particular area. But what about when things get difficult? What about uh, when opposition comes? Uh, What about when things don't go your way? Uh, What about uh, when the honeymoon stage is over and the reality of the day-to-day work required sets in? We must make sure that our service to God remains fresh and not mundane. We do this by maintaining our relationship and fellowship with God, uh, by making sure there is no unconfessed sin in our lives, and by staying in prayer and in the word of God. With that, let's move right into our highlights. The first highlight is uh, the first chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, 6 through 8, and 10 through 14. The Burden of the Word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. Verse 10. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. 
for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand? says the Lord. But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Uh, so here we see reference to God's love. Uh, we also see a uh, language of hate, but we must understand that the words love and hate refer to the election of Jacob and the rejection of Esau. Uh, yes, God is love, but he is also sovereign and can reject uh, what he will. Uh, we also see reference to the people's dishonor of God by offering that which is polluted uh, to him in worship offering not their best, uh, but that which is tainted and unwanted. Listen, just because God is merciful and loving does not mean that we can offer him that which is tainted and still have his favor. It is because of the mercies and love of the Lord that we should offer him our best. So the question is, what are you offering to the Lord in your life today? That's the searching question that we must ask ourselves. Verses 10 through 14 speak of the name of the Lord being praised among the Gentiles, but it being profaned among God's people who should know better. So what are you giving to God as worship? What are you giving to God? Is it your best, the best of your time, the best of your service, the best of your money, the best of your attitude, the best of your consecration, or is it the second best or leftovers? We cannot bring to the Lord that which is tainted and broken and call it true worship. Verse 14 suggests uh, that the deceiver was cursed for making a vow of sacrifice and then not offering it. Let us not invite a curse by promising God one thing and then intentionally offering another thing. Our next highlight comes from the second chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 2, 5 through 9, uh, 11, and 13 through 17. And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. Verse 5. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. Verse 11, Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign God. Verse 13, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? 
because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? So here we see in verse one uh, that this rebuke is sent to the priests, the leadership. We have seen all throughout the Old Testament that God is not afraid to direct rebuke first to the leaders. And in the Old Testament, this rebuke was often carried out through the prophetic ministry. This was the system of accountability that God used to keep leadership in check and accountable to God and to the covenant. We also see here that God makes it clear that those who don't glorify God are inviting a curse upon their lives, uh, where even what is supposed to be a blessing can turn into a curse. Listen, there is a difference between the blesser and the blessing. The blessing may be the car, the money in the bank, uh, the new house or the new job or even a position or title, but the blessing should not be worshiped. The blessing is not the sanctuary in which you find peace. It is the blesser, God Almighty, that we worship and embrace as our sanctuary. Keeping aware of this difference is very, very important. We also see in verses five and six, a subtle description of the qualities in a good priest or minister. Things like godly fear, afraid before God's name, reverence, holding the law of truth, no iniquity in one's lips, walking with God in peace and equity, turning many away from iniquity, keeping knowledge, seeking the law, being a messenger of the Lord. Unfortunately, this was not how the priests were. They were described instead as corrupting the covenant and being partial. We see in verse 11, uh, the charge of polluting the sanctity of marriage by mixing with those who embraced a strange God. The principle is that believers who are dedicated to Jehovah should not be yoked together with those who are dedicated to a false God. See also 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Listen, those who do not accept Christ by definition, embrace the world system and the God of this world. Uh, to marry someone who does not accept Christ means that you are marrying someone who embraces the ungodly world system, uh, though they may not be aware of it. Uh, it may appear as though your visions intersect. They're together. However, you must understand that your trajectories are different. That which now intersects will soon be traveling in different directions. Uh, the time to realize this difference is now and not after a covenantal marriage is entered into because at that time it is too late to change. Verses 13 through 15 uh, show that God is aware how a man treats his wife. I'll say that again. God is aware of how a man treats his wife. God honors the sanctity of marriage. God honors the wife of one's youth. And God is calling uh, husbands to honor the wife of their youth. 
God was not pleased with the unfaithful manner in which wives were being treated. God reminded his people that marriage is a covenant and that it requires oneness. God issues the warning that the men take heed. Verse 16 makes clear God's attitude towards divorce. God hates divorce. Uh, Let me say that one more time. God hates divorce divorce. Uh, This is why marriage is not to be entered into unadvisedly, but rather in the context of sacred scripture, the Bible and marriage counseling by godly seasoned counselors. Uh, Listen, you don't fall into love. Love, the agape love that the Bible speaks of is a decision and ultimately a covenant which people are called to honor for a lifetime. Uh, We'll deal more with this subject as we get into Christ's words about marriage in the Gospels and even Paul's epistles as well. Uh, Suffice it to say uh, that the Genesis 2 account also clearly states that marriage, which is between a man and a woman, is instituted by God to form a cleaving together, a permanent bond. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, Verse uh, 17 uh, makes it clear that God is not pleased when his people call evil good and delight in it. God sees it all and God will bring into judgment every single corruption of the meaning of the word good. Our next highlight is from the third chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 and 7 through 12. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Verse seven, yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So we see here uh, prophetic verses showing the ministry of John the Baptist who would be called to prepare the way for Christ and then the purifying cleansing effect of Christ's appearance. Uh, Verses 7 through 12 continue in the discussion of tainted worship. It allows us to see that our physical increase and our treasure is a part of our worship. Uh, For where our treasure is, our heart is. Matthew chapter 6 verse 21. The withholding of godly tithes and offering uh, is seen as robbing the Lord and results in curses upon the fruits of labors. Uh, On the other hand, 
obedience in the worshiping of the Lord with tithes and offering will result in God destroying any devouring of our gain and ushering the blessings of the Lord into our lives. Our last highlight is the fourth chapter. We're going to read verses one through six. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So we see in this last chapter of Malachi and of the Old Testament, uh, we see uh, that the subject of judgment arises again. The day of the Lord is mentioned in verse one uh, as a time when the proud, the arrogant shall be like stubble and burn up easily in the judgment by fire. On the other hand, those that fear God will arise. The promise is made of an Elijah that is to come. Scholars understand this reference to Elijah to refer to, again, John the Baptist, who would come to prepare the way for Christ before the great day of the Lord, uh, the day of judgment. The final verse of this book and of the Old Testament speaks of the turning of hearts of fathers and children in order to avoid a curse upon the earth. The ending of the Old Testament with the word curse shows the dilemma of man's sin and the curse that it brings. It suggests a looking forward to the eradication and destruction of sin, which will ultimately come through the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. And oh, how they yearned for this salvation, this deliverance from sin, which would soon come. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word, which shows man's need uh, for salvation through Christ Jesus. We pray that all who hear this word would be convicted of their sins and embrace the deliverance, uh, embrace the delivering power of Jesus Christ and thereby escape the judgment that is to come. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. God bless you.